Welcome. This is Jason Poblet with the Global Liberty Alliance. Today I'm recording an introduction because I think it merits some additional time to tell you who we're going to be talking with. Former Congresswoman uh, Ileana Ross Leighton, someone I've known probably in politics longer than probably anyone else because I worked on her very first uh, Senate state Senate campaign in Florida, and it was my first introduction of activism in, in, in a political in the political space. Uh, she ran uh, in 1989 when she became the first uh, American of Hispanic ancestry elected to Congress. And I remember during that particular campaign, the Democrat she ran against, Gerald Richmond, used the slogan, this is an American seat. And boy, did that get under the skin of the Congresswoman and her supporters. Uh, this was the first time uh, she ran for Congress, although she'd been in the state legislature for many years and did a phenomenal job there. And to this day, she ran every seat she ran for, she won. She never lost a seat. Uh, she knew her district, knew her constituents. She served uh, uh, in the truest sense of the word, uh, uh, the way a representative should. And, you know, her, her background's interesting. We're going to put some links there for you because I think you should read about it. Uh, she was born in Cuba back in the 1950s and she came here uh, at age eight when the communists uh, took over uh, she started from scratch just like my parents did my my grandparents uncles aunts it was, she was a quintessential american story success story worked her way in there and had a great network her family uh, helped her and she went on to earn a phd as well went to college she was she's a teacher she, in fact she ran a school for a while but she ran against this fellow who made that annoying uh, statement that this is an American seat. And ever since then, I've been involved in politics and public policy work and in that, in that space. And I wanted to have her on the podcast so she can share some of her stories with you. I think after this podcast, I'm pretty sure we're going to have her back uh, because there's so much we did not talk about. But it's an important podcast because it will put in context for you uh, the reason why Americans of Cuban ancestry who are involved in public life are as passionate as they are about freedom, about liberty, about the rule of law, uh, due process, equal justice under the law. A lot of that shaped, of course, by our, by our experience. And we talk a lot about that. We also talk about, even though we have a little disagreement about that, but did not go deep enough during our conversation about the importance of the role of foreign aid. I've always been a skeptic of it, uh, even though I, I know it has a role. Uh, but for years, I've said we, we need to kind of find a better way to do it. And she talks a little bit about that. And we go over a lot of other things, too. The use of sanctions uh, as a tool for human rights, uh, keeping uh, dictators and people who help them to account. Uh, we also talk about uh, some of our experiences uh, outside the political space, uh, where I remind her of a few stories about interesting things she did that we had not talked about in a long time. But she's a, remar a remarkable congresswoman. She's a wife, mother, now a grandmother. Uh, her husband, Dexter Leitner, he has a remarkable career in public service himself. Uh, I think they have four children, five grandchildren now. I think uh, Ileana wants Dexter to write a book. I hope he does. I hope she does too. And we talk a, a little bit about that as well. So, she has been, you know, 35 years in public office, uh, including state house, state senate, 
in Florida. She decided not to run for re-election in 2018. And when the Miami Herald asked her about why she, you know, why, why now, and she just said, look, it's been a delight and an honor to serve the community for so many years. And uh, she, she thought it was time uh, to take a new step uh, for them and for their family and other people can move in and, and fill that void. And some people have, uh, although you'll never fill the seat the way she did. I believe she uh, set many new records and new standards that I hope future folks who seek public office in South Florida uh, aspire to that. She went on to a remarkable career in Congress, not only for her district, but on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, where she broke many barriers as well. And we talk a little bit about that and her many legislative accomplishments. So thank you for listening. Uh, please support us at the www.globallibertyalliance.org. Again, www.globallibertyalliance.org. You can learn more about some of the work we're doing uh, and around Latin America and other places. And I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome again to another podcast of the Global Liberty Alliance coming to you across the river from Washington, D.C. in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, today we have again a very special guest, a uh, longtime friend, colleague, champion of liberty, Congresswoman, even though she's going to tell me don't call her that, Congresswoman Ileana Ross Leitman from the great state of Florida. Uh, she's, I think you're down in Miami, right, Ileana? You bet. I'm hunkered down in Miami, and you're right. Don't call me Congresswoman. Now, see, there it's she goes. Illy or Ileana. <laughs> I can boss you around, Jason. Yeah, you can boss me around. Fact, <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank. I am thanks, just so thrilled to be on this uh, on this podcast. I I love I love the title of of the organization, Global Liberty Alliance. That is not bad. I'm sure that you live up to that every day. And I've seen your work, uh, especially in the last few years where you, I don't think you have much time to practice law because you're busy uh, rescuing folks who are <laughs> captured in so many authoritarian regimes. So congratulations for that part of your work. It's really wonderful. Well, we've, we've leveraged um, our legal talents and bring on board you know, a new generation of lawyers and human rights defenders and uh, take some of the skills that we learned, frankly, when we uh, spent time. You know, I don't know if you know this, but my very first campaign was with you when you ran for the state Senate. Oh, so. my golly. <laughs> that was 1986. 86. When you ran for state, so, so for those who don't know, and we're going to put this information on the podcast, Ileana ran for, of course, the first time for public office in 1982, I think. And I think I was, uh, I was 12 years old when, I ran, when, when you ran the first time. But then I wanted to get involved in <laughs> politics. So, and so. then your wife, your wife was, uh, uh, has been campaigning with me since she was a teenager also. Um, Ilem, my God, Ilem. And Yelem Poblet yeah. from uh, 1982 on. And, and, you know, she was Miss Cuban American USA and uh, uh, such a beautiful smart young lady so well, i've been a part a, of the poblet family for many years but well, then she was sarmiento at the time she was sarmiento at the time that's right and then um indirectly 
you kind of brought us together because I got involved with your campaign. And then when you ran for Congress, I think at one of the big Lincoln Day dinners in, in, in Miami is where she and I finally met. And, and that was 89. That was that campaign, the summer of 89. And it was so hot, of course, in Miami. Yeah. And we had this guy uh, who was my opponent and uh, he made it a, a very divisive uh a uh, very ethnic oriented campaign saying this is an american seat i guess he was telling me that i was not american you're not american and, that's right. yeah so do you believe it that was uh, that was his campaign slogan it well, was let terrible me tell you, you you had a few a few characters that ran against you and you, yes. you, 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 you have a lot of first we'll, we'll jump into substance for a minute but i want people to know i, I want people to know this because the congresswoman was also the very first one I believe you were the first Hispanic woman, Hispanic period, ever elected to Congress, I think, Hispanic woman, Republican. That's right. Uh, in the nation. No, or, Demo or Democrat. Or Democrat, right. The first, the first, first Latina. That's yeah. Latina. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always getting all these little terms mixed up. But, uh, oh, they, and, they, and, then, and then they're trying to get that uh, Latin. I don't even know how you say it. It's just a made up word, Latin with an X at the end. What is that? X-Files for Latin people. I don't know. <laughs> it's out there somewhere. But you were the first one. And 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 there were a lot of first. And you had a lot of people uh, make, you know, they always underestimated you. And you always ran humbly. And you were always staying close to the, the district and always represented your district and the issues that were important to your constituents. And one of the, uh, this is a good segue to something because a lot of, again, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm going to share some Ileana stories from back in the day, like for the, the twice you on the human rights issue, especially, I remember you faced down communist party leader, Hu Hing Tao uh, in oh person. Gosh. Remember when you delivered that letter documenting oh human rights gosh. abuses and it Jason. was over in, in the speaker's yeah. lobby over there in, in the Capitol. You just walked up to this guy because they wouldn't let you in the meeting where there was something about the meeting, something happened that you were not inside. And you said, okay, watch what's going to happen. So you just barged into this thing. And I you remember gave, that. Yeah, I remember you, you, that. Oh my god! You gosh. gave him a letter of human rights abuses. And by the way, you didn't only do it to him. I uh, remember the Russian puppet uh, uh, Medvedev. You did the same oh, thing. Oh, Medvedev. Him. Yes. The Russian guy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, and this is one of the things that we talk about peace through strength. When we do some of the work with the hostages that we work with or political prisoners, I, can you share with, with, with listeners why it's so important not to shrink away, not to let evil people get away with bad stuff? You know, why is it that you did that to the Chinese party leader uh, or to the Medvedev and some others? Well, I, I love doing that all the time in the, when, I was, uh, when I was serving in, in Congress because so often uh, in, the, in the leadership, uh, whether it was Democrat or Republican leadership, they only invite folks who, who they think will, will be okay, will behave in a meeting. <laughs> and I don't know who did not invite me to those meetings. I can't remember. It was probably when Pelosi was speaker and I was not invited. And, and I want them to know it's important for all of us to, to confront tyranny uh, wherever it exists, no matter how uncomfortable it may make the leadership at the time. And, and people need to get involved with what's going on in our, in our nation and around the world because uh, the suffering that happens when people are, are denied their basic human rights, their God-given rights to, mm -hmm. to speak freely, 
uh, to elect their own leaders, to have separation of powers, all the things that we take for granted here in this wonderful country. And, and yet in other places, they don't have it. And, and it's, it's important to speak out for those folks who feel that they have no voice and who think that gosh, no one listens to them. Uh, so it's very important. I remember when I met with, uh, 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 uh who was that uh, gentleman? Uh, gosh, I can't even think of his name right now. Uh, who who wrote that great book, "The Case for Democracy," with with uh, uh, with Ron Dermer, the Russian oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Refusnik, um, who was uh, who now lives in Israel, and uh, he's such a well-known name. I can't I can't believe I oh, can't you, remember. Oh, it's like you're talking about Natan Sharansky. Natan Sharansky, That's you right. got it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he said, you know, he was in the in a dungeon uh, in, in the gulags. They said, you know, we we think that no one no one understands us, and he and uh, or listens or knows. And word got around that that, that prison of of Ronald Reagan's speech, mm. and he said, oh my gosh, that that lifted our spirits for for a year to know that such a man like like Ronald Reagan exists and that and that he's giving he's giving us a voice and that's why you don't have to be a, a an important person like Ronald Reagan you can be whoever you are you have an important voice and you're just as important as Ronald Reagan when you speak uh, on behalf of those who are oppressed in in so many authoritarian uh, countries so um, never Never lose your voice and, yeah, remember, and always I, speak out for others. This reminds me of a lot of the work that you've done. In fact, you recently did a, a podcast or a, a video presentation, which we'll provide the link to on Holocaust survivors. And uh, you, you stick it out. And I want, you know, just to give an overview about how consistent you've been from Vietnam, Christian persecution, uh, the Montnagars, Burma Jade Act, where you were where you were oh advocating gosh. against the military juntas. Oh my pa gosh! Yeah, yes. Pakistan, Pakistan blasphemy oh. laws, where you were helping out the uh, the Muslims out there in Nigeria, back in the 1990s when you were cracking down on the Abacha regime. Yeah, the Christian persecution by Boko Haram in Sudan, where you were very active with Frank Wolf and the other great champions of human rights. Of course, in Iran. And Lebanon, you're one of the very first ones to step up and help in religious persecution of the Baha'i Christians. And uh, North Korea, you were the author of two uh, reauthorizations on North Korea Human Rights Act. Uh, wow. you know, how, how, did you, how did you keep this rhythm going? Because you know, it's, it's been a central part of your work uh, even before you ran for Congress. I know you're fan. Tell our listeners a little bit, because I think it comes from that. Tell our listeners who may not know you and who, who they, everybody should know who you are. But for those who don't know who you are, uh, well, as far you know, as your, fam I, your family background, why do, do you think it, it, it helps shape some of that background, some of this work you've done? Very much so. You know, first of all, Jason, and, and I thank you so much for all those sweet words and, and, uh, and thank you for the invitation to, to be on this podcast. I don't think I, I said that to begin with. So thank you so much. And you're being awfully sweet to me and you, you should, you should criticize me as well, but I get inspired by the community that I was so proud to represent for so many years. Like you said, you know, first elected in 1982 and, uh, uh, and, and these are folks, I'm so humbled uh, to have had the opportunity to represent uh, political prisoners who, were, who spent so many years in jail in Castro's uh, gulags and, and, uh, and folks who've come from Israel 
who understand what it means to to have a homeland to return to and 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 I represent a lot of Taiwanese Americans here in in South Florida and, and look what's happening to poor Taiwan with right. with China exerting its its pressure everywhere so I'm inspired by the people that I used to represent and I'm still part of that community and also I was inspired by my parents who left everything behind in in Cuba and I was came over with them when I was only eight years old and they left everything behind, but they started anew here in the United States. And they said, you know, we're going to keep fighting for freedom in Cuba. And they could have been uh, bitter and, and sad. And, uh, but no, they say we, we can, we can change this. And, and to the last breath, they were fighting the, the Castro regime in whatever way, in whatever capacity they could. So my parents were role models for me, and uh, they're very important people in, in my life. And uh, and I hope that I'm an important person in, now in, in my grandkids' lives. You know, people and how you behave and how you uh, comport yourself, it's very important to to others. So we should all be very cognizant of uh, of what we do and what we say. And uh, my parents inspired me to get involved and run for office and help others. And my community inspired me as well. And, and with that, we're going to take our first break. And if, he, if the Congresswoman, no, sorry, Ileana, because she'll yes, correct, she'll correct me again, uh, will stick with us for another segment. <laughs> yes, we're, we're, yes. we're going to get into a little bit of uh, a little more Russia. And then we're going to jump into some of our favorite issues, of course, taking a closer look at Latin America. We'll be right back. And we're back with Ileana. I will not call her Congresswoman. Uh, Thank you, Jason. Okay. Is that okay? All right. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you. All right. All right. We'll, we'll pick up with that inspirational background of your family inspiring you to get into, into, into politics. And I know uh, Dexter, uh, your husband and your family, they're all civilly, uh, civic-minded folk uh, who uh, stay engaged in their own way. What, what's Dexter been doing, by the way? I, I well, know he's I'm been so busy. Glad with... that, yeah, I'm so glad that you asked me that question uh, because uh, uh, Dexter is, is such an important part of, of my life as well. Also, Vietnam combat vet. And he was, we served at the Florida legislature together mm-hmm. in the Florida House. And then we ran together for the Florida State Senate. And I went off to Congress and he went to become U.S. attorney for a few years down here. So now he's got his uh, law firm, but I'm trying to get him to, to quit and, uh, and just concentrate on, on writing. I want him to write the great American novel or write his uh, autobiography so that we have it as, uh, as a memento for, uh, for our family. So he was the, uh, the, the attorney for the, the village of Palmetto Bay, one of the small municipalities down right. here in South Florida. And uh, I got him to quit that job. So I was glad about <laughs> that. And now we're teaching a class together at the University That's of right. Miami. Yeah. Uh, uh, the fall semester is upon us and we're ready to roll. We're going to do it face to face. We hope that uh, COVID allows us to do that. And uh, we, it's a glass partition, a plastic partition between us and the students. And uh, the class, class sizes are smaller. Uh, we hope to only have 11 or 12 students. And uh, we'll be teaching Congress and American foreign oh, policy. And this great. is about the, the fifth time or something that we've, we've taught it. And we enjoy it. We, we teach it together. And it takes 
it takes a lot of time to, to put that class together. So we, we enjoy it. And I hope that everything goes well yeah. this new fall semester. Well, we, I hope Dexter writes the book because Dexter's yes. one of the smartest people I know. And he has this um, fascinating history, especially when he was at the U.S. Attorney's Office. He was involved with the Noriega I know uh, he's uh, got uh, so many so great much, stories. A lot of good history there, but and uh, I want him to write that write that book. So I'm hope and on good. the Everglades, he uh, he sued the state of Florida for polluting the Everglades. He's got right. he's got a lot of good things to write in a book. Well, so I'm I, hoping I hope he, he does. does. It. And you, you, cover, yes. you, and you you have to write one also. So there's a, <laughs> that, in fact, here's another another one for your book. I think I'm never going to jump into Latin America because it, this starts getting into some of the human rights sanctions work that you've done and carved out and made so much new law. Back during the Obama administration, when the House was controlled by Republicans, um, you went up against and um, everybody, the President Obama, uh, the House GOP leadership, I think it was Boehner back then, a good friend of yours. So it, it wasn't as if it was a confrontational issue. I'm just saying- No, she, never, and she, he she, is she, a good friend. Yeah, yeah. She, she challenged the leadership and the president on Jackson Vanek, <laughs> on Jackson oh, Vanek, folks. Oh, so important, And yes. you know, the issue that she stood firm on, she said, if you want my help as chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, you will include the Global Magnitsky Anti-Corruption Sanctions Act, or we're gonna vote and work against it. And you stood firm and you made the White House and the House GOP leadership and the Democratic leadership come around and include Global Magnitsky in that bill. T tell us a little bit about what happened. And that's so important. And Jason, you know this very well because of your work uh, helping, helping folks around the world. And uh, you have met, uh, you have come with your, with your clients, not that they pay your, your electricity because you do that <laughs> pro bono. So uh, I, I don't know how you, how you live your life and how you pay the bills. Maybe Yalem is, is, is working harder for you. But you <laughs> you're doing so much pro, pro bono human rights work. And I've met your clients and you know how important the global Magnitsky law is and how important it is that every country adopt this. This is anti-corruption uh, uh, for clean governance. And, and it's so important uh, to, uh, to have all the countries pass this. And it's uh, tyrants don't like it. Dictators don't don't like it. They would never have that uh, in uh, in in Russia. For example, uh, Putin calls Magnitsky. Uh, it's named after someone who unfortunately was killed in prison, uh, and he was uh, framed. They they said that you know they accuse you of anything: money laundering, drug trafficking, you know, robbing a bank. They'll make mm -hmm. anything up, but you're really in jail because of your of, because of your political stance. You are a political prisoner, but no country will label you that. You they'll they'll think that you know they say that you're a drug trafficker so no one will want to touch you but that was the case of of magnitsky and uh and and in his name we carry on and and, and try to have other countries uh, pass these laws so that uh there is no corruption so there there is clean governance and we take some of these things uh for granted but uh, we have a wonderful country, and I would never want to talk bad about our country, the United States of America. But as you know, not even in our country is everything hunky dory. No. You've had mm -hmm. to uh, you've had to file suit against uh, you know, our own <laughs> State Department sometimes because they're yeah. not doing the right thing. But the great thing about our country is that yeah. you have the right to uh, to address 
to right the wrongs and you have the right to petition your government. And in so many uh, enslaved nations, they don't have such rights. So it's important if, if we're going to pass measures in the house that we, that we do so thinking about how it impacts other people around the world, as well as our own American citizens. Exactly. So I was very happy to, to have said that. And that's the way it, it, Jackson Vanek did pass. And it did include global Magnitsky. Yeah. And Ileana stood firm to Obama, President Obama, House GOP leaders, and a lot of this. It, it, it's a it's a theme. I know she she she, she deflected no, that, but no, but, but no, she no, but no, she no. did it in her very in her very diplomatic self. Uh, but she was dogged. Uh, she went through with it, and I think that it, it leads to its next question. And then talk a little bit about Latin America. Sure. A lot of to, what's your advice to younger people or anybody, for example, going through a crisis where you have a political prisoner in a family or a hostage. A lot of times uh, during the Cold War, you remember how members would go to the House floor. And I don't see this as much today in Congress as we used to see it. And you will go down there, Frank Wolf go down there, Chris, uh, Chris Smith, oh my uh, Tom gosh, Lantos. Yes, Lantos. And, and, and they would and all talk Smith, about political yeah. prisoners and hostages. Why did that happen so much during the Cold War? But today it's, it's frankly, Ileana, it's somewhat challenging sometimes to get people to focus on this type of, of human rights case. So what advice and, do you and have? I, and that's such a shame. You're so right, Jason. You don't see it as often now, uh, but uh, there, it does not mean that the cases have diminished. It does not mean that, oh, we don't have any political right. prisoners yeah. anymore because, look, we're not hearing anything from, from the halls of Congress. But there are a lot of great folks who, who stand up for political prisoners and who talk about them. We've got, you know, Mario Diaz-Balart, Albio Sirius, right. Bob Menendez. We've got, uh, you know, and, and, and George McGovern, who is as liberal as you could get. And, and I am uh, usually voting against him on, on just about every bill when we, when we serve together. But, but McGovern from Massachusetts speaks out on behalf of political prisoners um, throughout the world. And I give hats off to him because and, and, he doesn't get Senator enough Coon, credit. Yeah, Senator Coons also does it as Senator well. Senator Chris Coons as uh, well. So we do have folks there who are doing a wonderful job. Tim we came from Virginia too, does. Tim came from Virginia also, yeah. A bunch of them Oh do. my gosh, yeah. So yeah. Tim Kane also. So there are those those uh, old Cold War uh, warriors. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness but, for them. But if, only the media, because, if only the media would focus on some of these that's stories. That's it. You, you know, know, I was just going to say that, Jason. And, the and that's what I meant. Is, yeah. uh, the problem is that you only have a limited amount of time and, and you, and I mean, as a politician, a, a reformed politician, uh, uh, I'm, when I'm in a 10 step program now to get rid of all my <laughs> political ties, but uh, uh, you, you say, gosh, I'm going to spend so much time writing this, this five minute special order. No one will cover it. No one will know. Uh, and I don't get any publicity at all. And that's why a lot of people don't do it. There just doesn't seem to be uh, any, any reporting on political prisoner cases. And uh, you work a lot with people who have, who are, who are prisoners in authoritarian regimes. And uh, maybe they're not even from that country, but they happen to be American citizens or, or from somewhere else. And it's hard to get somebody to, uh, um, to file a bill or, or any or do any make any kind of noise right. but noise is what we need to make exactly. because uh, silence is what will kill those political prisoners and indifference and uh, we've got to be that voice and we've got to be that person who will who will speak on their behalf as we as we end up this segment we got a few more minutes then we're going to do the last block but 
uh, into Latin America for a minute and some of the issues that I know that you've uh, continued to be very active in, including all the others, but one of the very last pieces of legislation you worked on uh, appropriately was a human rights legislation that was in the same vein as Magnitsky was the NICA Act. And the that's a phenomenal bill that it was uh, lethal in its simplicity because it's a very simple bill. Why has the NICA Act caused such a stir in Nicaragua? Because if you mention this to any Nicaraguan policymaker or or members of the regime, they're really scared of it. And and frankly, I think if you went to Nicaragua tomorrow, you'd be elected president because they love you down there. But, <laughs> uh, uh, it, it it comes up. Uh, people ask me all the time how you're doing, uh, and 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 the opposition uh, always asks about your efforts and what you're up to. But why is the NICA Act? Uh, tell our listeners what. Why do people fear it so much in Nicaragua? Well, like all of the good legislation that I've been able to pass, it's it's been written up uh, and 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 drafted by excellent staffers that I've had. Uh, first, starting with your wife, who is uh, an incredible genius when it comes to uh, not only international policy, but also strategy about how a bill becomes a law. Uh, she's, a, she's a policy wonk. Yelen Poblet is an amazing intellectual, but also very practical. All of the legislation that I have ever passed dealing with international uh, law has to do has has Yalem's fingerprints all over it. And then when Yalem went to work with the State Department, uh, Eddie Acevedo uh, became the staff director for my for the subcommittees that I was chairing. Eddie is Nicaraguan American, and uh, Eddie wrote the NICA Act. I you know they have my name on them, but these are all bills by my excellent uh, staffers. And Eddie. Uh, this was our fa final bill and it passed finally uh, on the last days of, of Congress. Uh, I, I, I was so busy trying to get this bill passed that I didn't pay attention to winding down my congressional career and, <laughs> wow. and, and doing all the things that I should have been doing because that was our focus. And it has to do with freedom and human rights and respect for private property and all the hallmarks that we take for granted here in our representative democracy. But uh, it holds uh, uh, criminals like Daniel Ortega and his wife uh, accountable and, and make sure that uh, we would not be helping any regime uh, that tr mistreats its people so badly. And, and I am so thrilled that in one of my last days in Congress, uh, President Donald Trump invited us to go to the Oval Office and have a, a signing ceremony with just us. It was, it was Eddie and, uh, and, uh, and, and some of my other subcommittee staffers, Gabby and Nate and, and uh, John Bolton was there and Mauricio Claver Caron. And uh, it was, it was so special because, uh, you know, to have the president of the United States care you, about. And you've issue. worked with, I mean, you've worked, I did count, I counted, and I think you've worked with six, five or six presidents. Wow. Um, in, in the time you were in <laughs> Jason, Congress. <laughs> you're embarrassing me. But really, I, it, it was just so thrilling. That was almost like, like my last moment in Congress. And, uh, and, and I was thrilled to have done it. And yes, Nicaraguan Americans come up to me all the time, Jason. And they're just <laughs> so happy because Venezuela has gotten a lot of attention as well it should because we've got a madman, an evil dictator, uh, Nicolas Maduro there. And of course the Castro regime with Diaz-Canel in Cuba uh, and they receive uh, attention and they need to receive more attention because they are just horrific leaders. 
But Nicaragua, uh, something about Daniel Ortega always staying a little bit off focus and uh, nobody has keyed in on him. But during a few years ago when the protests were really going strong and they were, they were killing student leaders. Uh, and when you did the comparison of per capita, the population in Nicaragua and Cuba and Venezuela, Nicar the violence against yeah. Nicaraguans expressing their political dissent was even higher. So I was glad to, to shine that light on, on Nicaragua and let people know that, all of those bad things are still happening. They're still happening today. They're still they just don't today. get the attention. In fact, uh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, another signing ceremony in a second with Bill Clinton. But before we do that, it was um, uh, a few weeks ago, we spoke to some priests down in Nicaragua and some peasant movement leaders in, in the rural parts of Nicaragua. And they say that they are still killing people and it's starting to seem like the Cold War times when the Sandinistas were getting out of control and attacking even churches. Remember last week, they even burned down that old relic that, or tried to burn That's down right. that. That's yeah. right. Oh my gosh. So we, we, we're working in Nicaragua Horrific. also with some people, some human rights defenders so down there. So that, Jason. we hope, I'm hopefully I'll get more are, attention. You are really doing wonderful work and I congratulate you for it. I know it's, it's costing you money literally because it's it's time away from your law firm that's and okay you don't, you, you don't life get is rich. short i'm having fun yeah you don't get rich <laughs> doing human rights work so well uh, hats off to you in 1996 before we take a break in about three minutes you were at a signing ceremony uh with president bill clinton and uh, you were next to bob uh, senator menendez now bob menendez yes. and yes. You, also, you also had next to you i think lincoln was there also lincoln, lincoln was Bufalar, there yes jesse helms was there um and but you but also surrounding you all with the family members of the brothers of the to the brothers rescue to the rescue oh yeah, my uh, gosh why do you think they've not indicted fidel or, or fidel's dead but we were supposed to indict these people. What, why do you think that hasn't happened yet? I, you know, uh, Jason, that is a very good question. Why hasn't it happened? Yeah. Successive administrations, Democrat and Republicans, should have done it. it you can still do it today. Uh, he deserves it. Uh, that is a murderous regime. And, uh, and, yet, and yet we don't. Uh, but I congratulate President Trump for the steps that he's taken against the dictatorship, the toughest uh, sanctions that we've ever had. And that that was the signing, what you bring up, the signing of the of the Helms-Burton bill, yeah, Helms which imposes uh, sanctions against uh, the Cuban regime. And uh, and, and that was a, a good day, but a sad day, because, Jason, that was that was all that we were able to do as a result of this of this murderous regime killing um, three American citizens and one U.S. resident over international airspace, right. and they were unarmed, and and yet Castro shot them down. So what we got out of it, we thought, okay, this is really going to be the impetus for real change in Cuba. So we got the Helms-Burton bill, but then administration after administration kept uh, – uh, not imposing the sanctions and waiving them for national security concerns, except for President Trump, who finally uh, put Title III and Title IV, part, the important parts of, of the legislation, into effect. So uh, more needs to be done. So that was a bittersweet day. Yes, we got a bill signing ceremony. Yes, we got an important bill passed. It's now law, but sad that it, gosh, it took three three deaths of American citizens and one a U.S. resident for, to get yeah, this yeah. bill through because yeah. otherwise Bill Clinton was not going to even sign it. He was, he was, not, he was going to veto it. So anyway, with, with each 
with each uh, glory comes uh, a little bit of sad drama, yeah. unfortunately. But I think of the pain in those families' faces, and, and that's what they must have been thinking also. My son was killed for this. It's, it's a good bill, but, but it's not worth the life. I mean, the, the, those are conversations that we have with a lot of families that we visit with and, and, and trying to come up with what justice means for them, because that really means something for everybody. It's different. And um, when we come back, um, we're going to just finish with this. It's the last segment, and we're going to get some concluding thoughts from Eliana about uh, a little more about Cuba because we want to board down a bit because some things are happening down there that I think we want to chat about before we, uh, before we break. So we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, we'll pick up, wrap up briefly with Helms Burton. Uh, the bill is tied to another law that goes back to three or four years from that, the Cuban Democracy Act. And what's interesting about Ileana's, yes. invol Ileana's involvement with this, and I think not enough people know it, Ileana opposed these bills in the beginning because they were not tough enough. So uh, a lot of times, in fact, the Cuban Democracy Act came up in her first year in Congress or second year in Congress, and she was the, the point of the spear in trying to make sure that whatever we did, the, the Congress did, was done um, with U.S. national interest and not just watering down legislation that would have weakened the embargo. So it was um, uh, a lot of battles that still continue. And also importantly, within, they baked into this law, which if they hadn't done it, nobody would be paying attention to it, uh, resolving the property claims issue, which is a, a huge stumbling block with relations with Cuba, uh, holding you know, them to account for what they owe you as taxpayers. And also, uh, uh, just to hold to account for the bad things they've done to Americans. And as we spoke about the Brothers to the Rescue, you know, Ileana was there making sure that those voices were heard because if she had not been there, uh, you probably will disagree with me, Ileana. Uh, I don't think it would have been included. These laws may not have passed. And I, it's and, too sweet. No, it's the truth. But, I, uh, but I tell you what, what you had said in the beginning there in this, in, in this segment of it, uh, that, I had to, that I was against it because I said it wasn't tough enough. I remember the discussions that we had in my, uh, in my congressional office in Miami with uh, Jorge Mascanosa, who was oh, wow. such a well-known uh, Cuban exile leader. Uh, may he rest in peace. And mm -hmm. uh, he wanted a bill so badly, but it was very watered down. And I said, no, we need to toughen this and we need to toughen that. <laughs> and they had sent uh, Tomas Garcia Fuste, who was a very well-known radio host, to, to come talk to me and to tell me, uh, no, you've got to compromise. And, and I would not. I know and I had my, my dad standing with me. He was always on my side. And we just held, held our feet to the ground. And, and finally, they toughened up the bill. And uh, yeah, it was now really, you know, was now, really now people. Amazing. Now people know why she never lost a race for Congress, state house, or state senate. <laughs> uh, I think uh, she's um, she's tough as nails, and um, I think that's why. But you're also you you always do it very diplomatically, and uh, well, you know, Jason, focus. I had never even said that. This is the first time that I say that publicly that we were up against Jorge Mascanosa and uh, and all the radio folks who were very influential during that time and they really in were. Cuban American yeah. politics they and really uh, and they wanted me to just say yes and I'm glad that we held firm and the toughest bill passed and um, you know they still had a lot of cutouts and 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 waivers but uh, but I'm very happy with the end result. Let me ask as a member of Congress as a and as a policymaker for as long as you were 
and this is now gets into the the, the wind down of, of of our of our program this time. Hopefully, we'll have you back. But what message do you also have for folks who think that? Uh, you know, I I personally don't. I think that Congress can't fix everything. Government cannot fix everything. That you have to work with the votes you have, with the with the groups you have, and you have to work with what's possible. A lot of times that gets watered down. How does that feel like when you think that you broker the best deal possible? How do you get to that point? And what do you tell the families or the people who are involved in this process or that they shouldn't give up, but that you always should stay engaged because it's there is a lot of compromise that goes on in this process. If you don't have the votes for something, like my former boss used to say, Bill Thomas from California. Oh, Bill uh, Thomas, what a great guy. Yeah, he, ways he, and means. Yeah, ways and means. You, you can't move product unless you have votes in Congress. So you know, yes. how, in, in, the, <laughs> in, in the foreign affairs space, in, in the space that you worked on for so long with human rights, how do you reach that point? Because it's not easy. People think it's easy, but it, you make it look easy, but it isn't easy. Well, you really, you know, it, it's tough to uh, to use the word compromise because that means that you're going to weaken uh, the bill and, and you're going to, uh, uh, you, you just feel that you're, you're selling yourself short. However, the reality is, the reality is that in politics, you have to make concessions and you can be tough and you can stand your ground as long as you can, but then in the end, uh, even though you're so sure that you're correct, that other person believes that he or she <laughs> is correct as well. And you know, you're not the owner of the truth. But what I always say to folks is, look, this is we we tried to get it as tough as we could, and and we had to make we had to make some concessions. And the NECA Act, which was my very last bill, as I mentioned in Congress, we had to make. We had to make concessions and we, there's some waivers there. And you don't want to give the president the ability to not implement the toughest laws, but that's, that's part of the legislative process. It, this is not a dictatorship, so you have to work with others. Be as tough as you can. Hang on with your tough measures as long as you can. But in the end, you, you're going to want to pass the bill and it's going to help some people, even though it's not a perfect product. And there's no, there are no final defeats. There are no final victories. You live to fight another day. That's and right. you've got to keep that coalition going so that, so that you can make a go of it the next time. You can always improve it. And, and as we conclude, I'm going to uh, let you and everybody who's listening into a, a, a long disputed policy discussion in the Poblete household about, uh, <laughs> about, about foreign aid, because my wife and I, Lem and I go back and forth on this issue all the time. She's a big proponent of foreign aid. Of course, always focused on U.S. national interests. I, of course, am a skeptic of foreign aid, uh, who has come around in, uh, in some respects about how and when U.S. taxpayer money should be dedicated for certain projects and certain missions around the world. And you've always been very careful with the public dole. And you've always, uh, as, as, as your career shows, the legislation shows it, uh, have, have been able to craft law and policy directives that make good use of foreign, uh, foreign aid money, foreign policy. So why, is, you know, why should Americans anywhere in, the, anywhere in the states listening to this, you know, what's your message to them about why we should invest into foreign policy? Why should they care about it? And why does any of this, when it comes to the rule of law, uh, we know why it matters, but why should we be investing money in foreign countries on uh, in programs such as these? Why why is it so important? Maybe. Well, you know, as you as you were talking, it reminds me of one of my favorite poems that I think encapsulates uh, my philosophy 
of why we should be involved in, in the world. And that's uh, the, the meditation by John Donne, who said, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. And, and what he's saying is, and he goes on to say his famous line, um, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Okay. And, and I've memorized that poem because it means so much to me. We are part of, of this whole world. You can't isolate yourself and you have to work with others to see how you can improve the world. And, and foreign aid is part of that and how we, we hope to, um, to have folks do the right thing and respect human rights and have free and open uh, political parties and elections and, and, and make sure that everyone uh, feels that they have um, something at stake in the welfare of our country. And that's why I believe it's important to be uh, part, of, part of the discussion and, and be involved in mankind because that bell is tolling for thee. So that means you're not immune, you're not separate, you're part, you're part of this world and let's all work together and, and improve it. And we owe that to future generations. And as we close, what's your message to the people of Hong Kong or the Christians and others in Nigeria struggling with genocide, the people of Cuba, uh, the people of China uh, who are struggling against the Communist Party, what, what, anywhere, our men, Americans living uh, in, in, in dungeons and prisons around the world. What, what is your message to them? Well, there is so much, uh, there's so much at stake. Uh, the, the future of Hong Kong, the future of freedom, of democracy, of, of, of being autonomous, of being separate. And, uh, and I, just, I, I just think about uh, one of my, my favorite m people in the universe. He's passed away now, Ellie Wiesel, who wrote mm. this incredible book, Night, and it says it's a terrifying account of the Nazi death camp horror that turns a young Jewish boy into an agonized witness to the death of his family. But it, it reminds us about um, the memory of evil and the evil that is going on all around us in, in so many parts of the world. And he talks there about the banality of evil and Solzhenitsyn did as well, how you have this Nazi guard but yet he tends his garden and he looks like just an, an, an everyday person and he's nice to his kids. But what does he do during the day? He's, he's killing, uh, he's killing people because they're Jews. So the banality of evil is all around us. And, uh, and I worry about the state of the world. If people don't get involved, good people must be involved and, and we must remain engaged. And, and I hope that your, your listeners will continue that fight for all of those people who think that the world has passed them by and the world has ignored them. Your voices are heard and we will carry on in your name. We owe it to them. And, and Eli Wiesel, it's, uh, it's, uh, I keep a quote nearby always uh, where he talks about neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Yes, and you cannot, you cannot be, you know, both sides. Can't you know, be both you can't sides. do that. You can't do that. And, and he uh, and, you know, he counts on that. It always counts on that. And that's, uh, you know, Ileana, when you, were, when you were saying that as we wrap up, it reminded me of a good friend of yours in Miami uh, who um, a few years ago, we had dinner with him, 
and Eli Wiesel a few a year before he passed on. Armando Valladares again. Uh, oh, Armando Valladares! Yeah, oh and, my gosh! Yeah. Yes, they, who wrote that excellent book about his account of being a political yeah. prisoner in a dungeon in Cuba's jail? Oh yeah, my and, gosh! And, and it was remarkable that they were both together. Uh, they were being honored by the Beckett Fund for their 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 tireless uh, fight and long and sacrifices that they made, and they were saying a lot of what you were saying, and uh, it it. it it helps to have leaders like you remain engaged. You have to remain engaged. We're not going to let you retire. So, <laughs> you, <laughs> we're, we're also going to. I'm going to talk to. I'm going to tell Elena that we have to find a way to have Eliana and Dexter write their books <laughs> because I think folks need to uh, read their, these remarkable stories about these great Americans. And I want to thank you for taking time from your busy schedule to be with us to share these thoughts. And I hope uh, we can have you back someday again. Jason, but the next time you have me back, and I hope you do invite me, you can't be this nice and disrespectful, and uh, you have to you have to treat me a little bit tougher because I I'm I'm out of the congressional game, so no one no one spoils me with these sweet words anymore, so I can well, get used to that. Don't do that. Don't do I'll that. I'll be the devil. Okay, I'll play devil's advocate next yes, time. Yes, let's okay. do that, Jason. <laughs> thank right, you for take the care. work that you do. Thank you for the life that you lead. Thank you for taking care of those who believe no one cares for them. Thank you, Jason. Well, thank all you the best again. to Yalem. I love her so much. And uh, to all of my staffers, they were just terrific. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank right. you. Hello, fellow Liberty Warriors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way uh, to make a podcast. It's free uh, for starters. There's also uh, an awesome creation tool. If you don't want to hire a producer right away, you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone, right from your computer, anywhere you are, at any time. It's uh, distributed for you, so that's really important. Once you record this, you need to get it to the right platform. They will do that for you, including on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast. It's all in one place. It's very easy to use. So give Anchor a try. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm to get started. Mm -hmm.